I think it's so important to relate to other to, to other men. Think about it like the way that we met, it was kind of just like DM. We slid into each other's DMs. If every time that you went to go get a, a donut, like somebody slapped the shit out of your face. <laughs> like, that's, that's an immediate uh, uh, action that, that goes against what you want to do. Because I feel like dudes are so My bad, my bad. <laughs> did you just say, what did you just say? Can you repeat that? <laughs> the first group fitness class The, the first class at Orange Theory that I taught, it was, um, I was like literally in the bathroom. 8.15, I had to teach Sunday. And I was like, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. <laughs> I was like 19 years old. So you started um, You started in the fitness game how long ago? How old are you right now? 31. 31. So you were teaching at Orange Theory at 19. I think 20. 20. Because I had my 21st birthday like three months after teaching. Yeah. And why did you choose to go to Orange Theory out of all places? They chose me. How so? <laughs> <laughs> they just no. came seeking you or what? So, I, I mean, I knew the owner from when I started working in the gym industry at age 18. And then after working for a while, I became a personal trainer like 19. And he just found my contact info. I got referred, I think, from a guy, Scott Schlesinger, that I worked with at the, at the gym. Mm -hmm. And he texted me and I called him back and I said, I heard you were looking for my services. And he's like, <laughs> I was like, he's like, hey, Juan, nice to hear you again. Like, you know, because I hadn't talked to him in like two years. Okay. Um, so he took me to like a big secret meeting that we were having out of his Pilates studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was pretty funny because it was like three o'clock um, that the shades were down and it was like a secret, like we're bringing something big to the Pinecrest community. It was like the first time that really group fitness uh, outside of spinning was brought into that area. Mm -hmm. Um, and Orange Theory really had like a, uh, I don't know. It changed the game. Yeah. Now, now like there's they're everywhere. Like there's an F45. There's like a bunch yeah. of things in Pinecrest area. But like back in 2000, and, I think that was 2012, 2011, um, when Orange Theory first opened up. We were Studio 22. Orange Theory, it was like the first boutique style gym that exactly. was just that was like accessible for everybody that like actually brought people in. I think other people were probably doing boutique, but more like 10 people, 12 people, and they were calling that boutique fitness. But um, they were the first to really do it in a big way. They started in Delray, right? Uh, or Boca? Cooper City. Uh, Cooper City, I believe. That was the first location? Was in yeah, Cooper so it was, it, was, it was based off of Ellen's Ultimate Workout that turned into Orange Theory. And Ellen is the founder? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know her? Uh, personally, I've met her like three times. That's awesome. Four times. And now, now Orange Theory is global, though. Yeah, 100%. International, it is, uh, I think they had, when I left the company, it was like 1,600 studios in the U.S. And then I didn't know how much they had global. But I taught in Australia. You taught in Australia? Yeah. You got to go to Australia because of Orange Theory? I got to go because I had a connection. And then I got to teach over when I went to go visit in Australia. It wasn't that Orange Theory invited me over. I kind of like finagled my way into teaching a class. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was, you, that was on my last year working for them. What do you think about that model makes it so, success, so successful? What is it about the Orange Theory model that, made it, that makes it so successful? They, they applied a, uh, a very easy model to reproduce to, to something that was fun. Um, they put 12 treadmills next to each other, have everybody doing the same exact thing, um, and they put the heart rate monitors on with a kind of a, a feedback for the person, right? So we're very visual creatures. And when we see like, oh, get into the orange zone, like that's what I want to do. And then you see that thing blink orange, you're like, yes, I'm successful. Yeah. And you get like these like- Splat points. Yeah, the splat points. Like I got to get 20 splat points back 
I don't know what they're doing now, but back when I was doing this, you had to get anywhere from like 18 to 20 splat points or something like that to say that you had a successful workout. So people were just like seeing that like, ding, oh, I got another splat point. Ding, I got another splat point. Like it's just these little gold stars that you get on your forehead, like as rudimentary as it sounds, but like it does something for you and you're like, I want to do it again. I want to get that, uh, yeah, that positive yeah, feedback. That, that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I went, I remember feeling like, wow, this is, they're tapping into something a little bit different yeah. than a lot of these other gyms are. Not and only you have the visual feedback, you can see how many splat points you can kind of, you can see other people in the room. Yeah. And then I would kind of identify, wait, who the hell is Sarah? <laughs> Sarah's killing it up there. So I'd look around the room to see which woman was like just gutting it. And I'm like, I got to catch her. That's the one. Mm -hmm. But that's just the competitive nature of, of, of some of us, right? For sure. For sure. Uh, but then the cool part is you could also compete with yourself. And then upon leaving, you get, again, you get an email right away that tells you how you did. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's the constant feedback. And that definitely developed as the company grew, too, because I was at Orange Theory when they first opened up and they had us writing our own workouts. Like we would write our workouts on a whiteboard with a marker and like you'd come to the floor and like do these like Juan's blocks. And then you'd go to the treadmill and do Juan's runs. Like we had different instructors that did kind of their own thing. And I think they did a good job at kind of uh, making it reproducible. Like they, they made sure that after a couple of years of that kind of model, certain things happened in the company that maybe they didn't want to put the company at risk. So they, uh, what's it called? They standardized everything and gave everybody a workout template to follow. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, because um, some people might make everybody push too hard. I think they also had to change the limits of each zone. They, they actually did. had to lower it because they had multiple. And I'm not, look, I'm a believer in Orange Theory. Orange Theory, if you can <laughs> give me a free life membership, I'll take it. Um, but I definitely know that there was a couple of cardiovascular events. Obviously, when you have people who are sedentary. Yeah, it happens everywhere. Yeah, they're sedentary. They're coming into a gym. They want these crazy, quick weight loss schemes. Yeah. And then they're pushing their, themselves to the limits. And they've been sedentary for 20, 30 years. Guess what? It's going to be rough. Yeah, you're going to have. Rough time. <laughs> and you, yeah. you might shoot. You might have a little clot that shoots off into your brain or. You need to know where the ADs are for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's rare. Yeah. It I don't rare. think it's ever happened to me in my class. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I never. <laughs> the most I've gotten is, is people falling off the treadmill. I never want to use CPR and AD in a gym in my life. In my 12 years teaching group fitness, never had to use an AD. Awesome. Haven't done mouth to mouth. Good. <laughs> good, because mouth to mouth is no longer recommended. It's just Correct. straight compression. Yes. So good. I'm glad, Juan. Yeah. You're up to date, man. Exactly. So um, tell me, so before we go on about like group fitness and stuff like that, tell me a little bit about like your upbringing. Um, <laughs> I, just, what's I don't about? know. That's all good. My upbringing? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just uh, your childhood, because I, I guess where I'm going to get to okay. is... Um, just so that you know where I'm yeah, going yeah, with this, so you, you don't feel like, well, I what the hell is going I got ambushed. Like, <laughs> this is a session for Please you. reveal your childhood traumas <laughs> oh right now. Like no, I, some things that um, maybe people don't know about you, where you grew up, okay. uh, where's your, where are your parents from, and um, yeah, let's start there. Okay, I'm 100% Puerto Rican, born, born over there. I lived there till 94, 95, and I came over here during Christmas-ish time. How old were you when you came? Four or five. Oh, okay. I, I don't remember 100%. Like four or All five. Right. Yeah. Um, we came over here. We grew up in, we first went to like Winston Park, like that Kendall area. Okay. Stayed there for a little bit. Then went over to the uh, the Falls area. Stayed there for a little bit. And then we moved down to the Cutler Bay area. 
Awesome. Um, so pretty much raised in Miami, born in Puerto Rico. Okay. My, both my parents are from Puerto Rico. My entire like family lineage is from Puerto Rico until Spain. I don't know. Do you, <laughs> until the Spanish conquistadors yeah, yeah. came do you, over. Do you go back to Puerto Rico often or no? No, I went back for my half Ironman. It was the first time I've been back in like eight years. I'm freaking half Ironman. Yeah. We'll get to that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. going to write down a note here. Half oh, Iron come Man, back to so half Ironman. Yeah, because that's brutal. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in in Miami area, went to Palmetto Middle School, went to Vineland Elementary back when I was just till fifth grade, uh, Palmetto Middle School, then South Miami Senior High, then went to FIU for my undergrad, and then I uh, went to University of Miami for my doctorate in physical therapy. Awesome. And then while you were at Orange Theory, was you were doing, uh, you were in PT school? Yeah, so I, I got into Orange Theory in 2011, 2012, and it was my second, I believe, third year of of undergrad and um from then on i stayed with the company for eight years i believe wow. yeah. did you always know that you your end goal was physical therapy was that something since high school that you just knew no no i i i wanted to do mechanical engineering first and then i wanted to do civil engineering and then i just didn't want to do either <laughs> too where, much math where, where did that transition happen was it just the course or the course load or what no no, no it wasn't the course load I, I didn't even make it out of high school before i knew i kind of wanted to go into like the fitness industry slash health industry my aunt's physical therapist so i always did like the take your child to work days with her okay and um i was doing like ultrasound on people when i was like eight or nine years old under supervision that's awesome <laughs> yeah it was like just put the put the little uh, transmitter on there and just keep on going. Don't stop. Whatever you do, don't stop. And that's pretty much it. So your aunt was a huge influence in terms of why you became a physical therapist? Yeah, I knew it was, I wanted to help people. I knew that she helped people on a daily basis. And I mean, I just always saw it growing up. So I figured, um, why not? Um, went into it and I loved it. So I just continued to do it. What yeah. did you learn at Orange Theory or I mean, you've been to, you've worked at Orange Theory, Camps Fit, Antidote, Arafit, Berries, Berries Boot yeah. Camp. Um, what have you else? learned as, because obviously you've learned from school, from a literature, like yeah. reading the literature, right? Yeah. But what have you learned about human behavior, um, about people's drive, their motivation? What have you learned, yeah, anecdotally in the, in the gym? Yeah, I mean, everyone is has different different motivators. Everyone has different ways of interpreting the information you're giving them. You can say one cue to one person, and it's not going to work for the person next to them. So you have to continue to like trial and error. You know, like some people want you to push them and scream at them and all this stuff. So, but most people don't. So, like I've learned in group fitness, when I would yell at somebody, scream at them, or whatever it was, it was always off the mic, because I don't want the other thirty five people in there to listen to what I'm telling you to motivate you. Um, and then I would say what 80% of the people would want, which is like a find your inner motivation and then harness it and then push it. Uh, but there was always that like 20 to 30% of the people that that wouldn't work for them. So it's like go up to them and give them what they need. And that only comes with experience. Uh, whether it's to ask them what motivates them or you just figure it out. Like sometimes it would be someone's favorite song. So I knew I would see that person on the rower like just dying. And then I would go to my playlist and I would be like, this person likes this song. It's going to get them to push, Bop, put the song. And then you immediately see their face or they see their, their body language changes. And you're just like, that's it. And so um, those small little moments uh, make teaching group fitness very unique uh, because if you're looking for them, you find them and they fulfill you. So is, do, you, do you feel that a rookie trainer or somebody who's more inexperienced 
would struggle identifying that. (laughs) Like you, when you were brand new, you didn't identify like, oh, this person needs to be yelled at. This person needs a song to trigger them. This person needs to think about their inner drive. No, yeah. I mean, so it was new. When you're new, you kind of just fall into the cliche sayings like, um, you miss 100% of shots you don't take. Mm -hmm. Go do it. Like that kind of stuff. That's You're kind of just trying things out, trial and error. Um, But I think when I was new... I said all the things that I needed to say that were in the script for for OTF, but I did a lot of things off the mic and talked to people off the mic a lot and found out what made them tick off the mic a lot. And that's what helped me out and helped me build more of a following. That and I would always show up no matter what, I'd always be there. I'd never call in late, I'd never, or I'd never call in sick, whatever it was, I always showed up. Yeah, you were telling me that you were Waking up at 3 a.m. Oh, yeah, that was... Undergrad or was No, that was grad school. Grad school. That was a completely different time. So where did you find... Why? Why did you have to wake up at 3 a.m.? So I taught 4.30 in the morning uh, at Orange Theory. I was... I think we were the only studio to teach, like, the earliest class in in the company for a while. People show up at 4.30 in the morning? At first, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, at first, I had maybe, like, five or six people. Within, I feel like, two months, three months, the word got around and people kind of stuck with it and... Really at that time in the suburbs, that's the only time that moms have to themselves. Like everyone's still sleeping in the house and that's kind of, I'd say 70% of my clientele, 80% were, were moms. And um, it was a time for them to just use it for themselves. Yeah, that's escape exactly. the house, yeah. their kids are still sleeping. Everybody's still sleeping. Get their workout in and by the time they get back home, they yeah. start their day, they wake up their kids, make exactly. breakfast, take them to school. Yeah, biggest confidence boost for me though was during during one of my rotations, I had to give up one of my classes I worked in downtown, uh, and so I wouldn't be able to make it if I taught the 5.30 a.m. So biggest confidence boost was I only taught 4.30 in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And my 4.30 in the morning class had more people than 5.30 in the morning and had wait list over 5.30 in the morning. And so people were willing to wake up extra early to go to your just class. to take the class. Yeah. Actually, now that I remember, the, re- the only reason I ever started following you on Instagram was uh, a, n- a fellow professor when I was at the University of Miami named Karina Gatamura. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, yo, this guy Juan, he's really cool. He's actually a P-. And I don't remember why we started talking, yeah. but I had just started going to the Orange Theory in, in the Gables. Yeah. Um, that was back when, was I, was I still teaching in the Gables at that time? I, I taught the Gables for wa- like a year and a half. I think you would once in a while you would drop yeah. in, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, funny story. And then that's when I guess I reached out to you and we, we just had like a back and forth for a while on Instagram, which is something that I bring up to people <laughs> a lot. No, I, I think it's a good conversation just because men and, and I, I'm, I've been stressing men's relationships with other men. Yeah. You know, um, I think there's we're prideful. Men are prideful. We have we have our egos. We have our machismo. We want to do it our, on our own. We want to be independent. Yeah. And the older I get, the more I realize like these small connections that you make with with other men who have the same drive, the same outlook on life, the same values and the fact that you wanted to help people. um, I think it's so important to relate to other to to other men. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, honestly. (laughs) I just feel that it's important to stress it because I feel like dudes are so... Bro, if you think, yeah, if you think about it, like the way that we met, it was kind of just like DM. We slid into each other's DM, DMs. That's it's true. Fucking it worked. True. true story. Yeah, and actually, like, my ex girlfriend at the time made fun of me because uh-huh. I remember. I oh told yeah, because it was super weird that you were gonna go have dinner with me uh, yeah, or not yeah, dinner. We're gonna we have to, like we went to tap and tap forty two after. We're gonna after go to the, the workout. bar and I remember. Was it after the workout or before the workout? I don't remember, but I was, she, she like gave me shit for it, and I was yeah. like, "What's the big deal?" 
uh like i'm just gonna yeah i'm gonna go meet him he's a he's a cool guy we're sort of in the same field we're both yeah, yeah. in the fitness but she was like oh that's weird blah blah <laughs> that's probably why she's my ex <laughs> shout out to you my bad Yo. my bad cheers shots fired hey good people no for real good people it was just that interaction you know we wouldn't be we wouldn't be where we are today without our exes <laughs> sure the, the the podcast just took a turn, huh? Guys, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just stating the facts. That's all it is. It's not good. I have no animosity towards anybody. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was weird because if if my girlfriend tells me, oh, I met this girl, blah, blah, we have similar interests. We're going to go meet up. Uh, go, cool. Go for it. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. But then the fact that I was getting shit, I started to realize how the, there's those gender roles that exist. Yeah. And then I mean, we, we call that a double standard. Definitely a double <laughs> standard. No. And we also know that men are the largest middle aged men are the largest demographic of people who are living extremely isolated and have the highest level, uh, highest levels of loneliness. So it's a problem that exists in the literature. And then me living it is why I keep on bringing it up, because men definitely need to establish strong, solid relationships with other men. Yeah. It's all good, whether you're playing ball but as long as you have somebody else to, to relate to, like right now, my boy is Alex, right? Yeah, yeah. And Alex, actually, as a result of the relationship I had with you, was the fact that you helped Alex step into the role of, of, sure. of a trainer, which yeah, is yeah. pretty dope, right? Definitely. Um, so, again, it's these connections that you make along the way, and you have no idea where, where they're going. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to nurture them, for sure. You definitely have to nurture them. You have to step up. You have to sh show your own drive, but at least that bridge is there. Mm -hmm. Um. So anyhow, I'm, yeah. So you've gone the non-traditional route as a PT, right? You the cash-based practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not just cash-based, but most. So most physical therapists graduate, uh -huh. and they go into a hospital-based system or, or a bigger clinic setting yeah. where they use PTs, PTAs. Um, I know that initially you try to go off on your own immediately after graduating school. Yeah. Or did you try to go the insurance route initially? <laughs> <laughs> Brief, brief moment of my life where I lost a lot of money just okay. yeah, taking insurance because I, I think it was too much of a headache for me to deal with and I didn't have the money or the funds to hire a third party to do all the billing for me and just kept on getting denied with my with your submissions yeah, and claims and I was like, this is dumb. I'd rather just care about my patient, charge what I charge. So why didn't you it. just, okay, so that failed, right? You, you start a business. It, I, it was a trial, yeah, and it didn't go the way that I wanted it to. Okay, I, it okay. failed. Why? It's okay. <laughs> so if it, <laughs> it it didn't go the way, why? The business model took a different route. <laughs> there you go. So, the, <laughs> so if it, when something like that, when when you hit a brick wall, mm -hmm. right, like that, what made you not decide to just? A lot of people would just say, "Oh, this isn't gonna work. Let me just go the traditional route with the rest of my classmates. They have a solid salary. Yeah. Um, they have insurance. They have benefits. They have a four hundred one k. What made you decide like uh, I'm still gonna keep moving forward? I don't want to work on somebody else's time. Gotcha. I don't feel like someone should have a, aside from my wife, a decision as to what my time is used for. Um, and I don't know it. The independence of working for yourself and, and being a, an entrepreneur is important to me. And I'm the only one that's responsible for my success and my failure or business plan direction change. Gotcha. <laughs> but, but I guess my question is why didn't why? I go just try to get a job somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I always had a feeling that this kind of model would work. And if you care enough about your patients, you just have to stick in it long enough to, to get a, a patient base. And then from there, you just continue to grow. 
Um, I have a firm believing that insurance-based PT is is tough and kind of dying almost. Like the people that actually care about their body and wanna wanna learn more about it and, and really dive into it are willing to pay the rates of a of a private practitioner just because they know they're gonna get the one-on-one care and they're not just gonna get what's reimbursable. Like I shouldn't have to be forced to put uh, ultrasound on you or to put a hot pack on you just because it's gonna give me $12 of reimbursement when I submit it. Like why? I know that's not gonna do anything for you. I know that passive modalities don't do shit. So like why would I put that as part of your care? Unless you were in like a lot of pain or something like mm-hmm. that and I could, I could make that better for a little bit and then take you into the other stuff like the dry needling that I do. Yeah. Um, I can get you out of out of the current pain status that you're in, but our treatment plan is movement-based. It's movement is what's gonna get you to where you wanna be. It's gonna get you to your goals, not sit back, relax, and give you a masajito. Yeah. <laughs> but so. that that generation of, of mentality, I think is, is kind of just going away. Do you, do you really feel like it's shifting? I mean, that's a, that's a major industry right now. Look at my clientele. I, I, in my personal case, it is, I guess. Um, I just see it more on Instagram. I see it on social media. People are, are, are using movement to get better. Yeah. And when you see that, that that's where the trend is going, then I can firmly believe that that's where it's going to go. Yeah. I wish I would have brought my, my hospital, I mean, my bills from physical therapy the first, from the, hospital? the first two months yeah. after my surgery recently. Yeah. When I started to look at it, I was like, wait, what the hell are they charging me for? Like, what's what's going on here? But I think yeah. the same is true uh, across the industry in terms of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Like, if you show up at the hospital, the hospital <laughs> the hospital is the only place where you can go to receive a service but have no idea what the cost is going to be until after the service has been delivered. You're right. Isn't or, it? or you can go to, like, a shysty salesman. That's true. <laughs> they get you to sign on the dotted line, and then you're like, oh, I have to pay all these extra fees. But, but it's yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. It's the same. Like, you have no idea. So it's a shame that I have insurance. I go to get this treatment done. I know the treatment that I need. And I could even tell them, hey, give me a CAT scan. Give me an MRI. I need yeah. two five milligrams of Tylenol. I need an IV bag. And, and how much are you going to pay for those two five milligrams of Tylenol? Probably 50 bucks a piece, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. No, but your insurance pays for it, right? Uh, no, <laughs> there's always a deductible. There's a copay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, there's extra costs that come afterwards. So, so you, it's like a scam. It is a scam. It, it, unfortunately, it's a scam. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a firm believer in that. So I was recently on a cruise. And while I was on that cruise, I kind of remembered the movie Wally. Yeah, that's a good movie. It's an awesome movie. And the way it I know exactly what scene you're thinking. Yeah. About. yeah. So, so. <laughs> The Wally at the very end depicts a scene where uh, everybody is morbidly obese. They are living on these little cruisers that take them around. They are having fast food, and they are they are doing nothing that requires physical activity. Mm-hmm. And it was the same. The same was true on the cruise. The cruise has um, has these buffets that are amazing, full of food. But then you start looking at the plates of food that everybody's choosing. They're not the best choices. Yeah. Um, I start looking at the actual people. And I could, regardless of obesity, I could see peripheral vascular disease. I saw people literally on the cruise on scooters. Yeah. Um, I went to the gym. Empty. State of the art <laughs> and empty. Badass gym. Yeah. With views of the ocean, right? Empty. Maybe people are just scared of heights in the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> so, and then people give me the excuse, well, they're on a cruise, they're on vacation. They're, I'm like, no, these people 
they're not moving, right? What is going on? Like, what is going on in terms of where we're going to as a society? Um, yeah, what, what can we do about this? Dude, I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that question. No, I, man, as things get easier for us, things get harder for us to move, right? So, like, even even now, I'm tempted to buy a scooter. I, I drive to work. I live a mile away from my job. Mm-hmm. I drive to work. I'm, I feel bad about that, saying <laughs> that, <laughs> but it's true. But, I, I mean, I do other things in my life to, to bring movement that I need, but uh, I don't know. Technology keeps us sucked into this virtual world that makes us feel good with the same stuff that happens at Orange Theory except on this small screen, right? Mm-hmm. So we're constantly looking at the small screen, and if we can get all the pleasure in our life from a small screen, like why do I have to go get endorphin release from from going to the gym? Why do I have to cause myself discomfort to feel good about myself? I can just get the likes on the on the sc- on the screen. Why do I have to look a certain way? I can just kind of adjust myself with this filter and like be better on the screen. Um, so as our life gets better on the screen it gets worse and worse off the screen and um i don't know that's kind of my first thoughts off of coming off that question um why do i need to be fit i don't see the immediate results of not being fit like peripheral vascular disease that's not going to get you from this month to next month it's going to get you when you're 40 when you're 50 when you're 60 i'm 20 like why do i 31 why do i need to why do i need to focus on it now i don't it's not impeding my health yet so why? And if people don't see these, it, it sucks because people have to wait till those events to then get a wake up call or they still don't get that wake up call after that event happens or they get like a like an MI or something like that. And then they end up like trying to re redo their life. But you kind of can't because you've already got the damage. So now you're starting off from like a negative standpoint instead of starting off at like ground zero. Mm-hmm. You're down under. Um, so if people saw themselves 30 years from now, if they continue on the path that they're on, then I think they would change it. Or I would hope that they would change it, but the truth is I don't think they would. Why do you say that? Why, why do you say if you of, could even show them what, what, what the consequences will be, why do you think that they will not change their behaviors or their actions? There's no immediate negative side effect. If every time that you went to go get a, a donut, like somebody slapped the shit out of your face. <laughs> that's, that's an immediate uh, uh, action that, that goes against what you want to do. There's an immediate action to do to, to be on my phone, mm-hmm. right? It's that immediate pleasure. Um, but there's no immediate displeasure of, of doing something that's not good for you. Um, but I don't think anyone can pay somebody to slap them. Well, they probably can. Yeah, you probably can. <laughs> you probably could find something anywhere. I mean, if you want, I'll do it for free. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I'll do it for free. If somebody tells me, hey, every time I have a donut, you have the right to slap me. I'll yeah. have them sign a contract and I will be gladly. There what? you go, right there. I mean, but, but I think that's that's probably something is that you don't get the immediate, uh, I think, I, I can't think of the word right now. Um, when, uh, when I'm on, on the microphone, I can't think of the right word. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, um, like it's well established that people who are active and fat um, or active and overweight yeah. is much better than being sit- thin and sedentary. Yeah. So it's not even, I guess what I want to stress because is you're getting the blood flow. Exactly. You're getting, you're getting your heart to pump. You're getting your heart to move, like move blood throughout and keeping all of your, your vascular system limber, like mobile, uh, versus being sedentary. None of that's happening. You're just like, things are hardening over time. Um, and, and you're not, you're not pumping things in and out. 
That's all. I'm, I'm looking at my notes here because I know I was going to go somewhere else, but I'll, I'll just go off on my own. Yeah. Um, what do you think is one of the, yeah. What, <laughs> we got to be able to reel you back. In yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think, what do you think is the, the biggest pitfall that, so let's say you're obese or overweight. Yeah. What's the biggest pitfall or, um, yeah. What's the biggest pitfall or myth or something that people fall into, um, when they're beginning a weight loss program, when they're beginning a weight loss program, they think that it's going to happen and, and it's going to be able, like, it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be, uh, fighting that that you, okay so let's talk about this a weight loss program take that off let's do something that everybody's done january 1st i'm gonna start okay. working out january 1st i'm gonna change who i am like one day like it's the same as your birthday how, how old do you feel today like no i feel a day older than yesterday nothing changed from the 31st of december to the first of january you didn't become more resilient you didn't learn how to overcome adversity you didn't learn how to go to the gym like you're still gonna have to put in that work every single day to get to the goal that you want to get to right mm -hmm. um and i think the biggest pitfall is that because someone pays a certain amount of money to do that weight loss program or pays a certain membership fee or gets a trainer or whatever it is they think that they're going to see the results right away without any discomfort and all that it takes is oh i signed up for this three-month package i'm going to be you know at the three-month mark i'm going to look this way but they, they forget that they're the ones that have to put in the work the entire way through. It's not like you're a, on a skincare regimen that you're just putting lotion on your face. And in three months time, you're going to have these great results. I'm not saying that that works anyway. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think it's more so a, a means of changing the lifestyle overall? And yeah, how do you go about doing it? It's falling in love with, with, with the process of that change. But um, I, I'm tired of hearing fall in love. With, everybody tells you you start a new business, fall in love with the process. Yeah. You're studying for a program, fall in love with the process. The process sucks, right? Yeah, it does. The process sucks. The process is difficult. The process is uncomfortable. The so, process puts you in, a, in, in adversity, right? Like, And so love the person that you're going to be on the other side of that, but go through it. Don't just drop, like the reason you are the person after the three months, the reason you lost that weight is because you overcame adversity every step of the way. So if you if you wanna fall in love with something, fall in love with the person you're gonna be later, but you can't skip everything that it takes to fall in love. Like falling in love is not easy. Love isn't easy. I can't describe it any other way. Like if, if you fall in love with a person and it's too easy, I don't think that that person's the one that you truly like. You have to wake up every day and make a decision to love this person because that person's gonna be one day mean to you that person's one day gonna hurt your feelings that person's one day gonna like not be easy to be around right just for whatever they have going on mm -hmm. and then and you still have to love them for who they are every aspect so take that and put it into the weight loss like you still have to love yourself along the way but um yeah that's kind of where i want to do no no i hear you 100 yeah. percent. i and i i think so what do you say to the person what do you say to the person who doesn't they, they do have this desire right yeah they have this desire for change mm -hmm. but then as the days go on every day it's like oh, i don't i don't have the energy today yeah i don't feel like it today uh, this just isn't working out tomorrow i'm gonna do it yeah how can we get people past those feelings and emotions that we all experience day to day. There's so many days where I have no desire to go to the gym, yeah. but I found a way to force myself to go. What's and your I way? To I, told, I told Erica yesterday that I'm just, I've gotten to the point where 
she didn't like the expression, but this is a whole nother discussion. I, I told her, hashtag fuck what you feel. <laughs> but that's more of me, how I motivate myself. I understand yeah. that for a beginner, that may be difficult because of they course. might have a lot of other obstacles to overcome. Um, there might be a lack of education. But for me, it's more so just the emotional aspect and getting over my own laziness. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I've done. Mm-hmm. And it's just I know that daily movement is what's going to help me in the long run. Yeah. It's a release for me. Um, it's where I clear my mind. Yeah. It's where I make business decisions. You know, It's where I look at my love life. It's where I look at my friendships. It's mm-hmm. where I look at my position in the world during that time because my I just feel that my mind is kind of sifting through everything as I'm going through it. Yeah. Or it's just an escape where I'm listening to Bad Bunny and hanging out. <laughs> it just depends. Or pushing my friend or having um, a friendly competition with somebody else. Um, or it allows me to we were just talking about it a little while ago. I exercise in the gym because if all of a sudden me and Juan are outside and Juan is like, yo, let's, I bet you I, I'll beat you. <laughs> so I have the ability to do it. Or all of a sudden, I don't know if, I don't know if you're planning to have kids anytime soon, or, <laughs> but if you have <laughs> no pressure, Juan, this is the pressure. <laughs> Let the wife hear this. Yeah, <laughs> He's drinking water. Everybody zoom in to Juan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but let's say if you have kids, right? And I'm just hanging out with you, and all of a sudden your kids want to play. I want to be able to get up and yeah, be move and be mobile and move with your children. Yeah. Or or play on the beach, whatever the case may be. I just want to. I want my body to be to able respond. to function and respond. Not only today at yeah. 38, but at 48, at 58, at 78, yeah. and, and if possible at 88 and 98, because mm-hmm. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be bed bound. Yeah. That's I not don't want to. Live. Be, I don't want to be bed bound. Yeah, I just said it yesterday. I saw my grandmother's been bed bound. That's what I was gonna say. Like you have, you have a, you have a. Yeah, I have a personal, prime example. Yeah, literally, every my, day you go. My grandmother's six years as a result of a stroke, mm-hmm. not taking care of her hypertension. I mean, it was she tried to manage it the best that she could, but eventually Mother Nature caught up with her. Mm-hmm. She threw a clot. She was down for like seven hours. I honestly thought she was. I honestly signed. I I signed the DNR. Yeah. I I wanted her to pass because I believed like her quality of life was gonna be poor. Mm-hmm. Luckily for my grandmother, maybe it's her faith. Um, I have to say it's her faith that she's still joyful when I go to see her. Yeah, yeah. She's still full of love. She's just happy to see. She just wants to give me a hug. She wants to try to conversate. But the fact that she's bedbound. Um, still strikes me and is a reminder that, hey, yeah, you're mobile now, but if you don't take care of yourself, there are consequences. Yeah, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be anywhere near that because, like, I, during COVID, you were scared into staying into your own apartment, right? Like, they were told you not to go outside, all this stuff, and you felt like a prisoner. So could you imagine that 700-square-foot, well, I had 700 on the beach, but, like, imagine that now confined to a bed and your toilet and a bed. Or for some people, bed and like a, a a commode. A commode. Yeah, she has a foley, so that's it. Yeah, my mom is the one taking care of her. It's rough. It's a, it's rough, and it's not only rough for my grandma. It's rough for for my mom, who's now the primary caregiver. Yeah. Um, and it becomes rough on the family. Yeah. Uh, because you now, have to jump in there and you have to be in there and visit and all this stuff, or else you're not pulling your weight and all this. Like it's tough. Yeah. And you have to live your life and you have a business and all this, but then now you have to add in this extra component. And thank God you live here because if you lived in California, you'd have to come and fly back and forth yeah. and you maybe not would be able to do it. So then you have all this pressure stressing you out and you have that increase in your cortisol levels and you're 
gaining weight, whatever it is. Like there's so many different components we don't take into account. But the fact that you have someone in your family that's bed bound, plus the fact that you now use exercise to think about business and all this stuff, like you have all of these factors that are keeping you where you are at fitness wise, right? Mm-hmm. You did, was there any point that you, once you found out that that made you tick, was there any point where you gained weight? I mean, I've very, fluctuated. Uh, no, I mean, you I fluctuated a few pounds, but not nothing, nothing drastic. That you can't control, nothing no, no, you no, can't no. take, get yourself out of. No, movement has been part of my life almost my, my whole life. Like I, I've always understood that this is something that I need. Yeah. And that's why I preach it so much, you know. Having, having, not having those cues and not having those things must be extremely difficult for someone who, who is overweight or someone who who doesn't have that feedback or who their family uh, kind of pushed them in that direction based on whatever food they had in the house. What, however the family ate is how they ate and they just took that into adulthood. And then what happened from 18 to 19 when they moved out or 22 to 24 when they moved out, whatever it is, like they just kind of kept those same habits and like this is what my pantry should look like. This is what my refrigerator should look like. It looks like how I grew up. This is what everybody's family's like. Mm versus if they did like one of those child swap things or whatever like they do wife swaps Mm -hmm. and you go to a different house that lives in a different way you could be like oh wait people actually live this way this isn't normal you just get out of your own little bubble and and explore that why do you think we're abandoning this so much in terms of education especially primary education um, we're we're abandoning. Are we trying people. to get into conspiracy theories? Right no, no. <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> but but seriously, why are we abandoning physical education, nutrition? I won't even get into finances, but we'll stick to the, the physical aspects, right? We, dude, I don't know. We're abandoning this all together. We're yeah. not teaching kids these things, like you just said. If you only have one worldview throughout your entire childhood, it's really difficult for you, you as you get it. older to change that. You can't. It's so hard. Yeah, you're right. I don't know why it's happening, and I don't know why more emphasis isn't being placed on movement and just movement throughout the day. Our workspaces have us sitting down all day, every day. Like standing desks are like a thing, but that's not anywhere near where you need to be. But you have your kids, like you're programming your kids to sit down. They go into work, they sit down. They have their lunch break at school, they have their lunch break at work. Like they're doing the same thing, they're sitting down. School is programmed to what work should be like, and you just kind of live your 40, 50, 60 years in in the same position. Setting. <laughs> like, damn it. You're, you're setting people up for failure. Um, then someone who's sitting all, all their life, you tell them to go run. They don't want to do that. It's completely opposite. Their bodies aren't meant to run. Their bodies are meant to sit or lay down, sleep. So how can people, so we're not being informed. We're not being educated. And then we're actually being misinformed, right? Mm-hmm. So how can people sift through all this misinformation that exists, that surrounds us, that we're engulfed in? How can we sift through and actually find the valid information and things that are tried and true and evidence-based that will actually help us either with fitness, with weight loss, or achieving our goals? That's a tough question to ask, uh, and I appreciate you for asking it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how can we do it? Like, how can, how can we sift through all this information? Where can it's somebody find so solid tough. information? Where it's can somebody tough. find dependable information that's like, hey, this is realistic. This is what it actually is. And it's not this, like we were talking about, eight-minute abs. Yeah, yeah, not the gimmicky, like, sales. It's tough because this is, like, this rules us, right? Like, the cell phone, 
we interact with a piece of content and now the algorithms say like, this is what you like, I'm gonna bombard you with this and you're gonna continue to interact with it and therefore you're always gonna get this. So it's like going back to what we talked about with uh, being a child and putting in a seated position in school, going to work, like you're uh, being stimulated by one piece of content that you interacted with and therefore you're just gonna continue to get that stimulus over and over again. So you can't get out of it. It's hard to find it on the phone. You just gotta think about the people that actually care, like you, Eric, myself, like these are people that want to spread the good information, don't care if they make a sale. Like obviously you need to keep the doors open, yeah. but but like the sale is not the number one, right? So I'm not gonna say things that, like I almost fell into that trap trying to, f trying to do this Instagram stuff and like the three best exercises for low back, like, not really i just got you to click on my stuff so that you could like stimulate my growth and that's not where i want to be because it's not true like there's no three best exercises for xyz two two of the things that you can do to bulletproof your knee like no it's not valid don't say that to people because they're going to believe it and they're only going to do those two things and they're actually going to weaken their knee well not necessarily weaken. you can strengthen it there's, there's only so much you can but but there's so many other things that you can do to help you that maybe not involve your knee or not involve those two exercises or those two exercises plus eight other things like two exercises plus lose weight two exercises plus gain weight plus gain muscle plus actually do a strength training program that that's meant for you over the next eight to 12 weeks and see how that's going to help your low back pain but it's not the three best exercises on instagram it's not the microwave ready solution mm -hmm. um, that people are seeking i think I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, yeah no, I, okay. I think, I think most people do. We do. We click on those things yeah. because it seems like easy, easily palatable, easily digestible. Yeah, I only have to do three things and I'll awesome. be good. Like I have no more back pain if I do these three stretches. Like the three best stretches for hamstrings. The three best. Like you were telling me earlier yeah. when we were doing PT. Yeah. Uh, um, you were telling me that people, the most purchased program is a three-month program yeah why what you were can you go i can see myself doing something for three months but the second you tell me to do it for six months or more it's like very tough for me to see myself doing something for six months it's like too far away six months oh, six months that's a lot so you just feel like us as humans we're very more digestible 100 yeah. percent. yeah if i work hard for 30 days like 30 days 60 days like these things work because if i work hard for this short amount of time I'm gonna see these results, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna to commit to that short amount of time. But if I told you, hey, uh, if you stick to this program for the next three years, you're gonna be in great shape. Three years? Yeah. How do you feel? You wanna you wanna buy this program? That's tough. <laughs> I, I mean, I would It's a tough say, sell, yeah. it's a tough sell. So, but hey, you can drive off this lot with this car that's gonna make you get chicks. That's gonna make you get, get the yeah. boys, like whatever it is. Um, and you're gonna sign away six year lease for this car. You'll do it. 400, 600, 700, $1,000 a month for certain people in Miami. Yeah. Like, because it's instant gratification. You didn't have to struggle, you didn't have to sweat. Yeah, it's just that luxury item that yeah. you just, you boast, right? You just went and did it. Yeah. So, but people specifically with like low back pain or like knee pain or ankle pain or whatever it might be, it's, they gotta fall in love with the process. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. No, no. And the reason I, I just that that phrase "falling in love with the process," I just feel like it's heard so often, and I don't know if people actually understand that until they're part of that process, right? Yeah. And until you start to learn, like, oh wait, I have to learn to enjoy this thing that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I have to enjoy this thing that involves sacrifice. This is yeah. the opposite. Yeah. 
Um, because we want to enjoy the donut. Of course. There's no the pe- donut's nice. The donut's nice. The donut's There's nice. no the, the the donut tastes good. Yeah. It feels good. Um, we enjoy it. We feel we feel full. And for then, a second. For a and second. Thirty seconds later, you're like looking for another one yeah. or looking for you know it has no substance. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so what's and, and this might what, be, this might be the wrong question. Go ahead. So Thank going you. back to to like tying that all back to PT and like what I do is in that process like let's say someone you know they have a tendonitis and they have to be with you for six to eight weeks or whatever it is because they can't like you know control themselves they're gonna hurt themselves even worse whatever if they try to go on their own um i have to find small areas in their life that are success stories to give them those small little tidbits of of instant gratification that that the human body or the human mind wants like Um, what what do you mean by that okay so let's go to tendonitis like let's say the person has elbow or triceps tendonitis or whatever it is and they're doing push-ups and every time they do push-ups it hurts but they can do a chest press and they couldn't do a chest press three weeks ago but you got them to that point they can do a chest press like that's a success like that's a little like little carrot to put in front of them that they can continue to chase like hey you can do chest press but you can't do push-ups yet that's okay but like four weeks ago you weren't able to do anything without your elbow hurting Mm -hmm. and now it only hurts when you do a push-up like congratulations you did great let's get a high five Mm -hmm. let's put an immediate like stamp on it success gold star yeah like (laughs) you did great and then the and then they feel accomplished and that helps them continue falling in love with the journey because they have to you just sometimes have to open up their eyes to to where it's at there's people that will never see that they've gotten better because they continue to try to find that like pain that they had before Right. So for me, the the hardest joint to deal with is like shoulder rehab because you're not shoulder. No, pec. Yeah, (laughs) close. Yeah, close. Yeah. But uh, shoulder rehab, because, you know, sometimes the person can't reach up in this position. I'm like, that's probably the the worst possible position you could be in. But they have all this available and they came in like this. So they're just looking for that little bit of range that they can't. It just hurts when I like when I do this and like or hurts when I do like that i'm like when in your life are you gonna be here that it's gonna stop your function almost never never, but you looked for it so you found it good luck and you just like inflamed yourself and now i have to start you back from here because this hurts now it's okay but i think it's the same with all of i mean i and i I can only speak for myself yeah yeah right um i i tend to fix i don't I don't celebrate my small goals, my small victories as I go through my life. Because you don't need it. Or what? What do you mean like small goals in, in so life that's in general? Like, uh, yeah, in general. I'm oh, saying okay, like okay. Uh, graduation, okay. Uh, passing a certification exam, or opening a business, or starting a podcast. I just kind of keep going, right? Yeah. And then I'm trying to relearn that. And I'm trying to recalibrate and say, wait, I gotta. I really do have to. And well, as I learn to enjoy this process... yeah. I have to start celebrating these small goals and saying, "Oh wow!" Well, that's I, what you did the other day with the with the thing on the <laughs> that you put on your story in the shower or whatever that you had you wrote down. Oh on yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You wrote down on a whiteboard like all these are the new goals or whatever. Yeah. But you sit back and you you take that time and analyze where you come. But that's that I think that's what happens that. to a lot of people. I think yeah. a lot of people, even when it, it's talking about um, on their fitness journey, on their weight loss journey, or on their recovery journey when they're recovering from an injury. I think we don't see how far we've come. We always fixate on 
what we haven't regained or yeah. where we have not gotten. Correct. Um, and it could be motivating too. So yeah. it, I could look at it from a positive perspective, mm -hmm. but I think it's also for longevity and sustainability. I think it's really important that we maintain that perspective of look how far you've come. Of course. And you have to look at you have to look at what is that person's motivation, right? Do they get motivated by looking for that last bit to get them to keep on pushing? Or is that last bit something that's hindering their performance because they're still seeking it and they can't get to it and they feel like they're never going to get there. And so why even like talk about it? Hmm. So as a practitioner, you have to kind of just see what makes them tick. And if it's a positive feedback that they're getting from from how much more can I attain or is it a negative feedback that they're getting that they're never going to be attain it, then then you can kind of guide your words much more carefully. I do this stuff uh, kind of like without thinking mm -hmm. about it after being in the profession. But I think when you're first starting out, you really have to be careful with the words that you use. And the same thing goes back to the fitness instructor. Be very careful about what you say because not everybody's going to take it and use it as motivation. Yeah, they might get offended by by one hundred percent by what you just gave. Like you gave strong criticism or tell them that you're not going hard enough, and right. they and, and you have no idea that four weeks ago they couldn't do an eight minute mile and they were struggling with like an eight thirty, and that's a huge accomplishment. And you just crushed their dreams by saying eight o or like eight minutes wasn't fast enough. Yeah, I want to see you do seven forty five, but you forgot that they were like six months ago they were at 10 minute mile like yeah. yo you just crushed somebody so be careful with your words because they hurt yeah and not only that you might be looking at their effort level and in your eyes they're at like a six or a seven but what they're feeling is a 10 like they're pushing with everything correct, they have. correct. and maybe you see more potential in that person yeah but they don't see it in themselves yet so they're not ready to make that jump so you can't get frustrated and this this can go for for children for relationships for a lot of things you could see the potential in your partner and your child yeah and you can encourage them but if you use the wrong words you may just crush them you yeah. may just completely discourage them, them. And, and discourage them from <laughs> yeah. from actually moving forward 100 so i think that's huge there's so many things that play from a physical perspective to a mental perspective so how much do you find a patient's mental state and outlook on their injury affects their progress and recovery i think PT is all mental. <laughs> like, it's it's a lot mental. Why extremely. why do you say that? Because there's there's so many things that go into someone trusting you with their care. Number one, do they believe in you as a practitioner? Do they believe that you have their best interests in mind? Did you set out a clear plan for them to follow? Did you come up with a plan together with them? Or were you just telling them what they needed without their input at all and kind of just like blew off the eval and that's it. Mm -hmm. And you know, like this is what you need to do, like just come back to see me like a couple weeks, you know? Um Sorry, ask the question again. Hold on, let me see. Yeah, I got thrown off. I was going. No, it's it's how how much do you find uh how much do you find a patient's mental state and outlook on their injury affects their progress and recovery? Yeah, so directly correlated. If if they have a, a negative outlook on what it is, um, I always go back to the same low back, low back pain. People have this huge apprehension to feeling anything in their low back anything in their back and their spine because they fear they're going to throw it out again or yeah they feel like they're like and the back is connected to so much or they have somebody who has a bad back you know like your back is super strong a lot a lot more strong than people think that it is or give it credit for whether or not that was something done in the past to promote back surgery or whatever it might be or whatever That's kind true. of machiavellic thing it was i have no clue but 
there is this notion that anything in your back is bad. Mm-hmm. Any kind of low back pain is bad. So when, when someone feels low back pain, they say, oh, sciatica, like oh, sciatic mm-hmm. pain. Like, uh, no, not really. Not, like, you have pain in your performance. Like we can, we can stretch that out or we can work that out. So if you're able to take somebody who sees this low back pain as like a huge problem and mitigate it to like that or mitigate it from this to this and kind of bring them back down to earth, then you can guide that plan of care better. But if you can't take this problem and turn it into this, you're going to have a really hard time because look how small this like scope is here and how many uh, objections I can I can work with here versus here. They always have something to grab onto, which is very difficult for you to work with as a practitioner. You can't like someone's always going to try to find a way around what you say that's positive because they're always going to have this huge scope to, to draw from. But let's say um, sciatic pain, like, no, you don't have sciatica. So that takes away that possibility. Oh, uh, let's say it's um, a fracture. Oh, you don't have a fracture. Boom, that got narrow. Oh, let's say it's a herniation. Oh, I just did these three tests or this cluster of sets. It doesn't seem like a herniation to me. Boom, boom, boom. It's just a facet issue. Let's work on this facet issue over the next three weeks. Anything that you see in pain and discomfort, this is kind of where you should be feeling it, if anything. Boom, I got them here. Mm-hmm. Like I took their mind out of it their craziness, their freaking Instagram feed that's telling them <laughs> all these 80 different things, their WebMD, whatever it is, I brought it down, boom. And I can control it now. I can control the narrative. You said something interesting a second ago. Uh, you mentioned our back. Uh, mm-hmm. our, it's true. It's true what you said. Our back has been um, almost marketed as this very weak point in our body. Mm-hmm. Where did that where did that start? Like right now is when I'm starting to see people do a lot more with back curvatures, right? Uh, yeah, they're always, we've like always flat been told back, flat, back, flat, flat back, back for everything. Core tight, core but, tight. What but, is your core, bro? <laughs> everything is <laughs> yeah, my core. Yeah, exactly. But why? So, so is it okay for me to arch my back as I'm doing certain exercises? Well, to arch or to arch? To arch. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, it's so injury is in. I guess my definition, a lot of uh, some, certain PTs that, that have the same mindset as me and say it the same way. It's like a tissue that wasn't ready for the load took the load. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so let's, let's say, let's say. Yeah. That's a, that's what she said, Joe Bear or something. Like, 100%. Can somewhere. you repeat that statement, somewhere. sir? So, uh, I guess I'll just put myself in this and I'll, I'll, I'll take all I, the practitioners out. I wouldn't out. put yourself in that one. <laughs> I would take yourself far away. Completely out of it. So, so uh, an injury is, so let's say, let's use scientific words. <laughs> a tissue that doesn't have the capacity for that specific workload. Okay. Took on that specific workload. So it's it got overstretched. It got uh, uh, overly stimulated and it wasn't able to do its job. All right. And, and so what, what, failed was it the tissue or was it the the technique Mm -hmm. did you use improper technique in lifting did you not properly load that tissue in its infancy for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. and it's in its um when it was first starting to take on that that workload or that that weight and um if you did properly prepare it then it might be a technique situation if you if you have terrible technique and you have bad tissues then you're just like it's a recipe for disaster more injury um so figure out what tissues messed up figure out what caused the mess up to happen but there's certain people that lift deadlift with completely rounded back but their posterior longitudinal ligament can hold all their vertebra gotcha you know like it's it it knows how to handle that stress most people 
are sitting down, are not loaded, are, and then you tell them to go do a CrossFit class or go do a, an Orange Theory class and deadlifts are in the program and they go into a load with bad technique and they lift out of that load and you get a little posterior lateral herniation. Mm -hmm. And herniation, that's a, a no-no word. You don't say that because people take hernias and they turn that into back surgery. They turn that into like huge problems. Mm -hmm. Herniations happen all the time, all the time. And your body just kind of learns how to bring it back. Yeah, when you started talking about tissues and loads, I, I know we went, this podcast keeps on taking weird turns. But, no, but seriously, do you find that many people that you treat are affected mentally or emotionally from their physical injuries? Yeah, because so a big, huge part of my treatment, especially in the, in the cash pay realm, it's you're dealing with people that aren't acute, right? So like most people aren't post-surgical. They're not coming off of an ACL or something like that. They're coming off of more like phase three, phase four to where they're pretty active. They just have like this lingering pain or they have this like lingering discomfort or they have this repeated discomfort or they like they get these calf injuries like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's just stopping them from doing what they like to do at their 100 percent. So that's kind of like my niche. It's like, what do you want to do? Where are you now? What's stopping you from getting there? Let's fix it. And I can provide a plan going for the next six or so sessions or six or so weeks, whatever it is, and we can figure it out together and take away, um, not take away your activity that you love, but let's modify it a little bit for the time being, continue to do what you want to do and you love to do, and you can stay with that positive reinforcement while we're working on this issue. I think it definitely has to has to do a lot with the patient trusting you, um, simply because, I, I mean, I've experienced it. Yeah. Four or five weeks ago when we started PT, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I felt that fear, right? Yeah, of And course. you were like, no, if, if this tears right now, it's because your surgeon sucks. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Steve Mora. He's awesome. Um, has hasn't torn, torn yet. Hasn't <laughs> say, torn yet. It's not going to tear. Yeah. Um, but I know that initially, and I started using this analogy, and I, I think I wrote it yesterday or whenever it was, um, where I, I saw this commonality with physical injuries and emotional injuries. Okay. And you have this physical injury, and all of a sudden, as I'm trying to rehab it or repair it, I'm not going to use its full strength mm -hmm. or its full range yep. simply out of fear of re-injury. Right? Sure. And so you tend to guard it. Mm -hmm. You don't let people touch it. Yeah. Um, you don't take it to its full capacity. Yeah. You limit it. You limit its ability to protect it. Yeah. And so then I was like, holy shit. This is the same way we are as human as as humans. Yeah, you're actually um, right. from an emotional standpoint. A lot of us suffer from either emotional trauma, whether it's in childhood or adulthood, whether it's in our love life, our financial life, mm -hmm. um, just just in general. We, yeah, they we call it they call it putting up walls. Yeah, so we start putting up, we start putting up walls. We yeah. start guarding the same way that you guard an injury. Like if when you first started pulling on my arm, I didn't do it that aggressively. Uh, no, no. <laughs> but when you start pulling on my arm. I, right away, what do I yeah. do? I clench. Of course. I bring it in. Yeah. Um, and I want to protect and guard it. Yeah. And so what I've what I started to see, I saw it and I've seen it in my patients. I've seen it in myself, where I have had these emotional injuries throughout my life, and you don't realize until you start looking. You have to really look at that injury and focus on it, and start saying, "Oh shit, I'm limiting this ability. I'm limiting people from entering my life." And you're as, enjoying your life yeah. more, yeah, yeah. possibly. As, well, I'm enjoy I could be enjoying it more if yeah. I would allow them in, if I was vulnerable, right? That's hard. It's hard, though. Yeah, yeah. But just like PT, mm -hmm. 
physical therapy is hard because now I have to I have to trust you <laughs> yeah. to help strengthen this injured part of myself. Yeah. Right. And how do I like? How do I? I don't know. Is is? I just found it interesting. Yeah. So what what kind of clicked in it for you is uh, trusting me as a practitioner, right? Go back and definitely and analyze you in, in general. Like, you came in with this guarded injury, like you, and then within that first session, you let me take you through ranges that you hadn't seen before mm -hmm. or in a while, mm -hmm. right? So what did I do in that session when when I saw you, when you were guarded? Did I say relax? No, no. Calm down, bro. I got you, bro. <laughs> Don't worry, bro. I didn't say any of that, right? Like, yeah. so I kind of shook around your arm a little bit. Yeah. I like, I, I worked into the tissue a little bit more. Like, I, I started opening you up slowly, slowly, and surely. And before, like, you knew it, you were all the way out here. You know, and like, looking like, what am I doing out here? But you're out there. Yeah. Like, and I'm working with your arm. Simple. I put a lot of my body on, on your arm. So I was like, I was holding your, your arm right in here. Mm -hmm. You felt my warmth. You felt my my warmth yeah <laughs> you, you felt you felt this is, okay. we're going back Listen, we're going back to the I, tissues we're i'm going okay. back to the load i'm okay with feeling the warmth not the load let's just make that clear <laughs> go ahead so so <laughs> so you felt you felt uh the 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 contact right and and that kind of let you bring your guard down a little bit because your arm felt safe if i would have held your your wrist and i just had two points of contact like just your wrist with one hand and I was pushing into and doing mobilizations with my other hand and you only had two points of contact. You feel very unsafe. Yeah. You're going to stay guarded. So these are things that you learn some in PT school, but really when you go out into practice and you kind of figure out what people need to get them to do what you want them to do without telling them to do it. Yeah, because it's a sense, it's a sense of security. Like, okay, like I, I can't really describe it, but I know that I felt much more comfortable simply because you, you were bracing my... Yeah, it's You're, a warm embrace. Yeah, you were you were bracing my don't, arm. Don't don't I make it less secure. than what it is, man. Man, I quit. <laughs> Hold on. So what's up? I'm, I'm gonna keep going. Um, so so much of your job centers around the care for others, right? Yeah. Um How does this take a toll on you? <laughs> and and what rough. what do you do as as an outlet? Oh man, I I sometimes. My job has a lot to do with listening, listening and reacting. Every day is different. I could have the patient that was super, super happy for three weeks straight. And one week they come and they had like one of those issues where like, oh, I felt it over here. And they like, they feel like they've made eight steps back and I have to be able to troubleshoot and put out that fire. Um, so that takes a lot of like mental kind of emotional stress. So I think after I do maybe five, six, seven sessions in one day, and these are all one hour sessions, sometimes one hour, 15. I go home and I'm kind of beat. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk. I just want to like sit there. Mm. But then my wife will kind of come home and she'll want to talk. Not in a bad way. It's just, you know, she doesn't talk to a lot of people throughout her job. Mm. So she's on the computer. She's answering emails and she talks here and there, interacts. But it's hard for me mentally to gear that back up and, and, and talk. So I like to listen. I'm very quiet when I get home. Mm. That's something I've been working on. But uh, my outlet, I would say, is is like volleyball. Like my outlet is going out and being physical, going out and um, yeah, being in the sand, rolling around. Like it's fun. I just get to do that and don't have to talk. But I can if I want to. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Because I would say that like I would lie to you and tell you that I go out for a long walk or something like yeah. that. I don't, <laughs> I don't do that. 
Yes, yeah, so um, no, but that definitely takes it. To, I think anybody who is a healthcare provider finds, or anybody who's in the helping profession or even customer service, I would yeah. imagine, yeah. you spend your day engaging with the public, talking to people, explaining yourself, yeah. um, using communication, trying to be as thorough as possible. And you get home and it's like, it's heavy, right? Yeah. And it's kind of your time to just mellow out and escape. Mm -hmm. Now your wife gets home. Women naturally talk more either way. <laughs> I didn't say that. She's full of energy. Okay, I, didn't say, I didn't say that. <laughs> she, she comes home full of energy and she's probably so excited to see you. And then you've some days. Yeah. yeah, no, no. But you've you've given a lot of yourself while you were at work. Yeah. And now she's asking of you. Mm -hmm. How does that? Yeah, how do you sift through that? How you said you're working on it now, but how do you sift through that in terms of like how do you how do you? It's accept a learning like, curve. It's yeah. a learning curve. I I understand that she doesn't understand a lot of the aspects that go into my job, and I I take that into consideration, and I try to just be more energetic. I try to when I don't want to say anything, I'd say something. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough, but we make it work. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's just she understands that aspect of myself and she's asking for more initially when we were when we were together. And I give more now because I know that's what she wanted initially, but she understood that uh, I do when I have a long day. It's a lot of talking. I think it goes back to just communicating that, right? Yeah. It, had she not had told to talk. Yeah, had she not told you, hey, like you're shutting down when you when you get home, had she not expressed that to you, you probably wouldn't have responded. But since she pointed that out, and but then you also well, probably expressed. She never like, really like communicated that way. It's more like uh, you don't talk a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like in a bad way. It's just like I don't talk a lot. Yeah, because my job involves me talking for sometimes six hours, seven hours a day, um, and it's a lot to deal with problems, um, emotional problems with people, mm -hmm. and uh, PT is a lot of psych. Um, I wish we were more yeah. prepared for that. But yeah, PT is a lot of psych, um, and. And yeah, so the fact that she mentioned that and dropped that hint, like I'm not gonna just completely neglect it. You know, I take that into, uh, that goes back to the upbringing, going back to like when we first started this podcast, you asked me about my childhood. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of inferring. I grew up in a house of three women, like it's, and a brother, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of inferring what they say and reading between the lines because we weren't the best communicators with that. Um, and that's kind of, I took her small comment. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you don't talk that much. And I'm like, okay. I gotta talk. Wait, so wait, who helped raise you? Uh, my mom, um, my my aunt, and her mom at the end. Like it kind of when I was living there by myself, it it was M three. Oh, so my brother dad, had already left. Your dad had left. Your yeah. dad wasn't part of your, your upbringing. Correct. Was that difficult for you as a man? Not really. I learned how to be a very chivalrous human being. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, I learned very quick that yeah. that I had to that I had to be on point with everything and, and understanding uh, women because the the three women in my house they all worked differently. They all have different things that make them tick gotcha. and so different you, things that tick them off. <laughs> so you learn very quickly, like how to win, how to yeah, win, how to win, how to win over the ladies. Yeah. My wife is, is not that way though. No. <laughs> my wife is unlike them three. So it's, it's a learning experience. It's a day, day in, day out learning how to make her happy every day, which is enjoyable. And how long have you been married? A year and some change. A year and some change. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. We've only known each other for two years two and a half years and i know she kicks your ass on the bike <laughs> yeah she does and i'm very proud of her for it yeah, well, yeah so are you still into bike do you love biking i haven't touched the bike since my half iron man <laughs> <laughs>
March March twentieth. So was literally what, the bike the bike is collecting dust. What geared you to train for a half Ironman? Because I think once upon a time in my mind I thought I was gonna do it. I did a mm-hmm. few triathlons. Yeah. Um, but then the more I realized, like the training that's required for a half Ironman. Yeah. Can you just tell me what? A half Ironman consists of in terms of mileage. Yeah. So people understand yeah, what, a, <laughs> what a half Ironman is. Yes. A 1.2 mile swim. It's a 56 mile bike ride and a 13.1 mile run. All right. So let's break that down a little bit more. <laughs> how long is a typical, uh, on average, like a, good? a 1.2 mile swim? How long does that take somebody? Like, are you an avid swimmer? Did you learn? I'm a terrible swim. I learned how to swim in January. So how long like, did the swim? swim for distance in January. Okay. How long did the swim take you? 53 minutes. 50, so almost an <laughs> oh, terrible swim. So an hour swimming, basically, you get off. Yes. You're sh- was there a wetsuit? Where, no, no wetsuit. There was Puerto Rico. Oh, Puerto, Puerto Rico. It's Puerto Rico. The water. Yeah, yeah, in the, the lagoon. The water's warm. Yeah, right. the water was fine. The water was turbulent. Oh, that's very turbulent. Too. Yeah, it was rough. It was at one point. So we we crossed we crossed under the bridge to get to the to the place to come out of, okay. of the or the I guess what that's called the checkpoint, and I was I was swimming and a wave came by and I got lifted up in the wave. And then crashed on top of somebody else who was swimming under me. Oh. Like that was kind of like what we were dealing with when we got past that bridge. And then there was a, a current. But when you were did you <laughs> did you train in the pool or did you train? No, in the I train I train in Kibiskin. Okay, yeah, Kibiskin is like the tri beach. But it's not choppy though. It's a bay. It's chop. It's it can be choppy sometimes when there's wind, but it's not that choppy. Well, that was the mistake. That was rough. I, when I trained for a triathlon, you did it was pool. a sprint. I was training in a pool. And you did an open water swim. And it was an open water swim in South Beach. Yeah, it was yeah. South Beach Nautica <laughs> tri South yeah, Beach. Yeah, I did the last the last ha- the last. Small triathlon that I did was Nautica South Beach back when it was a classic distance, and it was back in 2011. Yeah, mine that was the last triathlon that I did. Terrible. Yeah, but for me, thank God, open water swim, glass. So open water swim, how long is the bike again? The bike was 56. 56 miles. Yeah. How long does a 56 bike, uh, 56 mile bike ride take? If you're good, if if it's from here to Black Point and back to to where I live, it's like. Two hours and fifteen. So you like swam that. for an hour. You get on a bike for two hours. That can, was two hours and, and four. Two hours and thirty minutes. Can you describe how your legs? Feel? So the next is you go from a swim <laughs> to a bike to a run. What do your legs feel? What do your legs feel <laughs> like legs? when you get off the bike and <laughs> you start to run? You feel like Bambi. You feel like your your legs are trembling. Yeah, I was like, I can't believe I'm about to run thirteen point one miles. So now you have a half marathon ahead yeah. of you. Well, it was it was Puerto Rico, so it was a half marathon. But it wasn't a half marathon in, in Key Biscayne. It was, it's it's, it's hilly. A hilly. It's a hilly. It's described as hilly on the Iron <laughs> Hilly. Hilly. <laughs> on, 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 the, on, the, on the Iron Man uh, and w- circuit. And what was so, how long did that take? That one took me forever. That one took like another two hours. Two, two, no, 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 another two, two, two and a half hours. Okay, yeah, yeah, because if you just run a fresh half, like a yeah. two-hour pace is like a nine-minute pace. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, which is yeah. A, a, an average pace. Well, uh, going back to I said, yeah, it's not bad to someone who's never run 13.1 miles before and they did it and they did it in four hours. Like, fuck, yeah, good. Yeah, awesome. congrats. You did yeah, 13.1 that's, that's miles. Huge. That's great. Yeah, you have, to, you have to take into consideration that, like, if you're not in the realm, running a 13.1-mile marathon, a half marathon, is what, that's, that's what the active guy at work does, you know, in, in a regular work setting. But if you're in the triathlete world at 13.1, or in the in the Ironman world at 13.1, is like, that was like my short run throughout the week. I'm doing 26 like this weekend. <laughs> you know, like it means nothing. So like, take it into perspective. But yeah, 13.1 after doing all that two and a half hours is a lot. And I and I and I hit up like multiple walls throughout that run where I had to just walk and get through it. Like mile 10, 
you think you hit mile 10, oh, I'll just run a 5K. Like when I get to mile 10, I'm gonna run a 5K and I'll be done. I've done 5Ks before. Like I tried to shorten it into things that I've done in like mm -hmm. digestible pieces. I hit mile 10 and I was like, I can't run. I can't do it. You I can't, can't do it. you're done. Yeah, like I would try to go and then my body was like, nah, nah, just walk, you'll yeah. be fine. And so I, I, I did that, I like, like bartered with myself. I'm like, if I, I'll walk to mile 11, I'll give you a one mile walk and then you just have to run. You what do you, what, how do, actually now we're talking about this, how do you feel about people, because this is something that I, I've thought about a lot. For my body type, running a full marathon is probably asking for injury. Mm. Um, simply because I'm 185 pounds. Were your tissues ready for the load though? No, my tissues were not ready for the load. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is what the title of this podcast is gonna be. Are, are, is, you, is your tissue ready for the load? <laughs> so wrong. The visual they can is take horrible. it out of context. That'd be Polo's very a graphic bad. designer. He's, gonna, he's already working on the design back there. <laughs> oh, no. It's terrible. So, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about listening to this later on. I'm gonna laugh, I'll yeah. tell you that much. Um, but yeah, so do you feel that that is an intelligent goal for, let's say, a 40-year-old individual who has been relatively sedentary and all of a sudden it, they get this bright idea like, I'm going to do a marathon next year. Yeah. Is that a wise choice? Um, if your body's prepared for it, yes. But do you think they could prepare for it, let's say, in, let's say a 10 months or, or in one year? Is Can you really, seriously, can you prepare those tissues for that level of exertion? Off of a no no cardio like no base nothing no base, nothing right. at all because a lot of people do it that's why I'm saying yeah yeah that. yeah I would say give yourself a year at least a year at least a year yeah and it's got to be like you got to build a cardio base that doesn't involve running a cardio base because because if you don't have a cardio base chances are you don't have a strength base so build a cardio base on something that's non-impact like uh, like a bike um, recumbent bike whatever mm -hmm. works and then and then once you have that cardio base to where you can you can maybe jog or something like that then go and build a strength base or build the strength base while you're doing the cardio um, and then go from there so this is a very slow methodical program a hundred percent that somebody would go into gradually they're probably gonna have to yeah. address small small issues that arise sure. as as they train yeah muscles muscles uh, muscles tendons ligaments uh, bone they all have kind of different healing times so like it, when you're when you're sending somebody to run you get like small fractures in your shins and and you build that up over time your body learns that hey i'm gonna get this impact so let me like rebuild this area with like osteoblastic activity like yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna rebuild this bone so it's stronger it's fortified it's ready to take on that that impact later on you have to give your body time for that to happen but people don't they'll say, hey, I want to go to do this marathon. I'm going to do it in, in four months. And then they try to run every single day and they end up getting these shin splints, right? And like shin splints, it's the worst. Like you have to stop running and let them heal before you can go back to it. And then they get them again because all they did was let it heal and they didn't address the lack of strength or they didn't address the weight issue because it's a lot more weight hitting you down when you weigh more. Hmm. That, yeah. was, that seems obvious to say. No. Yeah. I just feel that a lot of people start setting those goals and they want to run these big races because it's uh, it's almost like a milestone for them. Yeah, um, but yeah and it should be. I mean, it's a great milestone to yeah. hit. It's great, but the expectation is where you have to understand like your body needs time to adjust. You're not gonna do. You're not gonna just think that you're gonna get to that goal by running an hour a day or running. Uh, the long run later on, you have to prepare for other things outside of that. I get that a lot with active adults or, or people that. Um, like older men that, that go and try to play soccer or try to play basketball or something and mm -hmm. they, they pull a hamstring or they, you know, 
twist a knee in, in one way or another and get like a little meniscus tear or something or get some irritation in their knee. They come in and I'm like, so what's your strength training like? You know, I go to the gym and I do like some bicep curls and I do some chest press and uh -huh. I do some lat pull down. I'm like, okay, so what do you do for legs? I get on the treadmill and I walk. Okay, so, so you were an athlete back in your day and you think that you can continue to do that, but you're not training to do that and you're asking your body to do that. Your body's gonna do what you're asking it to do but it's not prepared for it. So this is what happens. You twist your knee because you haven't done cutting in 20 years and you tried to cut because you had that distant memory of what it felt like to cut. So what do we do? We have to rebuild the strength in the knee or the hip or whatever it is. And then from there, take you into cutting drills that are very controlled. And now you know how to cut. Now your body knows what to do when to cut. Now you're going to do that on turf. It feels good, feel comfortable, cool. Now you're going to do that with a ball. Okay, and then like you slowly progress that to where they feel comfortable cutting. And that's kind of what it is. You have to kind of like reverse engineer. Yeah. What's the goal that you have? And then what are you lacking to be able to do this? A lot of people is just like that sports specific training or even just sports specific strength training that they need to do to get them to be stable. And that's what you're not going to get from doing something like an orange theory or something like a, a group fitness class because you might get the cardio conditioning, but your sport is asking you to do this and your training regimen is not doing anything close to that. Your heart might be able to take it, but your body does not know the movement pattern. You're not gonna do well in this. Stick to your class. Yeah, that's why my pack exploded. <laughs> no, seriously, I, yeah. I had been doing the same hit training for a while. Mm -hmm. I felt strong, I felt good. Yeah. Um, I put too much load on the bar. I was in Mexico. I was in Mexico City. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, I'm bench pressing, yeah. which I felt strong enough to do. Mm -hmm. um, I was pressing 275 uh, on decline. Yeah. And it was like my fifth set. I hit the record button to send my friend. He said, be like, hey, high school, <laughs> high school weight, bro. Still got it. Yeah. And still had it. And next, still had it. And yeah. next thing you know, boom, it felt like a Velcro exploded yeah, in my like chest. Yeah, like ripping apart. Like <sighs> it just, no, it literally, the best explanation is just like a very strong Velcro. Yeah that just sheared right away, uh. shoot. And then no pain immediately, yeah. sat up, and the video is great. No, you I said, I tore my pec. Yeah, I tore my pec, my muscle just exploded in my chest, and yeah. I'm just sitting up looking at the guy. But then you look at a picture from 15 minutes later, <laughs> black it's and starting blue to balloon. Yeah. Over the next couple of days, it's just black and blue across. It's, it was pretty bizarre, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, because like, uh, I've been through certain injuries before. Like I haven't been through, I haven't torn my ACL. I haven't done, uh, uh, I haven't really torn my rotator cuff. None of that stuff. I, I help people rehab through that. I've hurt my low back before. Um, and I've also like, I've dislocated my kneecap. It's funny to hear people's descriptions of what's going on. Cause then you can use that too. Right. So like if someone ever comes in and they think they tore their pec, I'll be like, Hey, did it feel like Velcro yeah. was coming off like quickly? Or did it feel like it was just like partially off? Yeah. yeah. You know, so I can use that as a descriptor. No, immediately. Yeah. It was just boom. Yeah. It's yeah, it was it's pretty rough. One of the Honestly, the weirdest part about um having a, that sort of an injury where mm -hmm. I, I literally have a piece of my chest that's no longer there. Yeah. Um, is just that. Like I started to realize uh not body dysmorphia, but just like having a deficit. And I'm not going to freaking like, let's say uh, somebody who has an amputation, it's something that it's very apparent. Yeah. You're missing a part of yourself and every day you touch it. Right. Yeah. 
or, or maybe a woman who had a bilateral mastectomy because they, they had breast That's cancer true. or something that like that. That messes with your brain. And all sure. of a sudden, every time you touch, it's like, oh, wait, I'm not I'm not whole is what yeah. I feel like sometimes. And I'm, I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. I can honestly say every there is not one day that goes by that I don't touch the side of the injury and realize like, oh, this isn't what it once was. I'm not saying like I'm sitting there crying, but I definitely recognize that there's a deficit yeah. Um, and, and it could, I could see how it could get into your head. Yeah. Uh, I've learned to work past it. Uh, I'm trying to strengthen it for sure, but I definitely still, especially right after the surgery, when I would see dudes doing dips or, or on Instagram, I would see somebody bench pressing. Yeah. And it's yeah. one of two things, <laughs> either I'm cringing cause I'm worried about them yeah, yeah. or it's like, damn, I want to do that again. So gotcha. Um, just a few more questions for you before we go. Oh, wait. I, no, go ahead. Tell it me. is it is 3 o'clock. Um, I have a patient at 3.30. Oh, no worries. No, no, no. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I do want to come back. Though, yeah, no, like, no. We'll close conversation it conversation for sure. I think, uh, no, just to close off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me see if I have at least one, one more good one. No, no, you're <laughs> no fine. Worries. Dude, patients come first. Patients um, comes first. That's that's true. Both. I guess the last question I'll ask you is... Um, yeah. You've been in the fitness. I was going to ask you like about glute camps and the best. Oh my but, god! <laughs> but no, I'm not going to go there. We can go there for sure. Just go ahead. We, no. Well then, we have, oh, I got. I got. I need more time. All right, no worries. I want to come back for a second. All right, <laughs> at some point. But yeah. I, I mean, that's fine. That, that, that's a good. That's a good way to. Close. Okay. Is there anything you want to share before we go? How about that? Um. Yeah. Man, that's a very open-ended question. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the best form of exercise stop you from exercising, right? Like don't, don't get caught up in the minutia of like, I have to do HIIT training. I have to do this style of training in order to see the best results. Who cares about the best results? Like go do something that involves movement so you can start somewhere. If you're, if you're literally stopping yourself from going to do anything because the class schedule doesn't work for you, like you're just looking for an excuse not to move, like just go and move because movement will bring you other things, right? And we talked about that before. We can get into that later on about that book. But um, yeah, don't, don't look for excuses. Look for solutions and the solution is movement. And that's what I've been preaching, man. I just want people to move. I want people to get outside. I want them to realize like, whatever limitations you think you have use what you can do yeah like i've been injured i i've been hurt before and i'll find something else to do yeah so boxing I, might not be your first choice when you've tore your pec but hey guess yeah. what i'm gonna go walk i'm gonna go bike i'm gonna do whatever i can so yeah i guess that's that's the main thing is get people to move get outside enjoy life enjoy your quality of life improve sure. your quality of life yep. and a lot of that is going to stem from movement of course Definitely. All right, Juan. Yeah. Pleasure to have you. For Seriously, sure. I mean it. I appreciate <laughs> you not only as a guest on the podcast, as my physical therapist, there we go. Uh, as a clinician, as a human, and, and as a friend, bro. So thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Oh, of course. All right, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Juan. For sure.